Last couple of months, we've been looking at the book of Luke, stories about our Lord Jesus. And so today we're concluding that series. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Book of Luke, chapter 24. We'll begin reading with verse 13. What we've noticed in the last few months is that every time Jesus had an encounter with someone, he challenged them or, and he changed them. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus and remain the same. That's what we've been seeing. And so now we come to the last uh, in the series looking at Jesus having an encounter. This takes place right after the crucifixion, takes place right after the resurrection. And some people walking down the road and they have an encounter with Jesus. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to him, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened, but also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them all the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Our Father, open our eyes that we may see Jesus. The Father will understand the meaning of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A 
On April 12th, 2007, a 39-year-old man positioned himself by the subway in Washington, D.C. He was dressed in a sweatshirt. He was wearing a national, uh, Washington National baseball cap. He was a street entertainer, and there are many street entertainers in that area. But he had a violin. And so he opened the violin case. He seated some money there and began to play. He didn't just play anything. He was playing Bach. Now, playing Bach is difficult, but playing on a violin is extremely difficult. And not only that, he was, wasn't just playing on any ordinary violin. The violin he was playing was a 1713 violin handcrafted by Stradivari. It was so famous, it had been stolen twice. The violinist was Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is one of the greatest violinists of all times. The newspaper, the Washington Post, wanted to do an experiment. They wanted him to play at rush hour to see if anyone would stop to listen. Would they stop to listen to the world's greatest violinist playing the best music on the most expensive violin? Would that get people's attention? It was an interesting experiment. For the first three minutes, 63 people walked by without even looking. Six minutes later, one man did stop to listen. In 15 minutes, they counted 1,070 people who walked by and did not pay attention. Some people did throw some money into the violin case. In fact, he made $34. But when you consider he makes over $1,000 per minute when he performs, it's not much. Only one person actually recognized him. The Washington Post was interested what would happen when you had someone playing the most beautiful music imaginable, would you stop? And here is someone famous incognito. His greatness went unnoticed. His talent was ignored. His fame overlooked. And people went about their business. In Luke chapter 24, we find Luke recording Jesus incognito walking with followers, and they didn't recognize him. Now, I'm fascinated by this, and here's why. Luke only gives three stories about the resurrection. He tells the story about the women going to the tomb. He tells the story of Jesus going to the disciples, and he also tells this story. My question is why? I mean, we know Jesus was there 40 days. We know the uh, different accounts. We read some of them in the book of 1 Corinthians. There are many, many stories of Jesus appearing to people. Why did Luke give this story? What is it about this story as he is walking along with these people? Why did he include this? There, there must be something in this story that we need to hear. I mean, we don't even know everyone involved. We know one person, and his name is Cleopas. We don't know the other person. Some people believe it's his wife, Mary, who's recorded in John chapter 19, verse 25. We don't know. We don't know who it is. We just know it's Cleopas. So there's something about this story that we need to hear today. It begins in verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. What, what things? Well, they're talking about Jesus. They're, they're talking about how Jesus was arrested. How dare they? They're talking about the trials, the illegal trials, mind you, of Jesus. Then they talked about his scourging, how he was tortured by the Romans. Then they talked about how he had to carry the cross down Main Street. Then they talked about how he was crucified between the two criminals. They were talking about these things. They were trying to figure it out. The implication is they're talking in order to figure it out. That's what Luke is saying. Don't we do that? 
Sometimes something happened in our lives, lives and, and we start talking it out, trying to figure it out. What's the answer? Why did this happen? Why did it happen this way? Here they are, and they're talking about all these things. And while they're talking, Jesus, the risen Savior, comes up and joins them. Now, they don't recognize him at first because we find out later they have been spiritually blinded for the moment. Jesus wants to answer their questions first. And I love this story because I love that he appeared to Cleopas. And here's why. Who's Cleopas? I mean, think about it. I can understand Jesus appearing to Peter or James or John or Mary. They're famous people. Their stories found out through the Bible. But Cleopas? Who is he? He's a nobody. Exactly. He's like us. You see, sometimes we have this idea that God only appears to the talented person, the famous person. God appears to only certain people. But let me tell you, God appears to all people. Jesus comes to everyone. You don't have to be a rock star to find our Lord Jesus. And Cleopas has a lot of questions. And Jesus is going to answer the question because that's what Easter does. This morning, we're celebrating Easter. Easter answers questions. It provides the answer. Because if the story of Jesus' death and resurrection is true, then it, then it validated everything Jesus said. Okay? If the story is true, then it validated everything Jesus said, and now we have answers. Now, all of a sudden, we understand who we are. We understand why, how did we get here. We understand what is our purpose. We understand the meaning of life. We understand, is there an afterlife? We understand, is there a place called heaven? We understand who is Jesus. If the resurrection is true, it validates everything. And so Jesus is going to answer their questions as he's walking with them on this road. So let's look at the answers Jesus gave them. First of all, the resurrection answers the question of our despair. It answers the question of our despair. Look at verse 17. Jesus said, what are you talking about? And it says in verse 17, and they stood still looking sad. That, that word sad is a very strong word in the Greek language. It means to look gloomy. It means your, your face is fallen. It, it means that you can tell looking at somebody you are hurting. Some translations might put the word downcast. They could not hide their emotions. Not only that, Luke said they stood still. Do you know why? They were hurting so much they couldn't walk and talk at the same time. They're walking, and Jesus said, Why, what, what are you talking about? They stopped. We, we can't talk and walk at the same time. We've got to tell you what's happening. These followers are trying to figure things out, and because they're trying to figure things out, they are in despair. We find a clue why they're in despair in verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet. Stopped right there. Did you hear what they said? Jesus, a prophet. Now, before they thought he was the Messiah. Before they thought he was the Messiah, but now he's dead in their opinion. Therefore, he cannot be the Messiah. Therefore, he must simply be a prophet. We've been waiting for the Messiah to come and, and liberate us. And we thought Jesus was the one, but he's dead. He must just be a prophet. You see what they're saying? We thought he was God. But I guess we were wrong. Have you ever noticed that's what we do? Ever noticed that when life gets dark, 
we lose our job or lose a loved one or some tragedy happens, we are tempted to say, God, where are you? And by the way, if you stay too long with that question, God, where are you? You'll go to the next question, maybe there's not a God. You start thinking, well, I guess Jesus is not who I thought he was. Maybe I'm wrong. I hear that a lot of times. I'm talking to people in a tragic event. Where's God? And then over time, it's, well, maybe he's not there. And they're saying the same thing to Jesus as they're walking with him. We thought he was a prophet. I guess we're wrong. And yet Jesus is right there. You see, here's the problem. They were looking at life without the resurrection. Jesus is dead. Therefore, everything's falling apart. Jesus is dead. There's no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, everything falls apart. There's no meaning to life. You see, if we start looking at the resurrection, I promise you our despair will go away. But if you look at life without the resurrection, you will always have despair. Because in your world, this is it. This is it. Death is the end. This is all you're going to get in this world. If, if Christ did not rise from the grave, then everything he said was false. And every meaning falls apart. In other words, there, there cannot be hope. There cannot be peace. There cannot be joy. If Christ didn't rise from the grave, that means this is the end of life. And that also means life is insignificant. It means it really makes no difference what I do. It doesn't make a difference if I'm good or bad by whatever society's standards. It doesn't make a difference 100 years from now. It means I can work for 40 years, but who cares? It, it, it means I, I can give my money to charity, but who cares? It means I can help other people, but really, who cares? Because 100 years from now, no one cares. Doesn't that sound like despair? I mean, you think about causes that, that people have in despair. A bad romance or a marriage can break your heart. The death of someone you love can break your heart. Not, not making the team, not making the cheerleading squad, not getting that promotion, not getting what you want can bring you into despair because you're looking at that event as opposed to looking at it in, com in comparison to eternity. Jesus answers the question of our despair by the resurrection. Because once we understand the resurrection, anything I have, I can put next to that, and then it makes sense. It's going to be okay. A few years ago, I was, went home to watch the Super Bowl. Now, our rule is you don't tell me, tell me the score. One of you broke the rule. So I knew the score of the game before I saw the game. But I decided to watch it anyway. But I already knew the score. I knew my team was going to win the game. And so I watched the game from beginning to end. It's amazing how you watch a game different when you know the end. My team got behind three touchdowns. That's just awesome. They're, they're coming back. Okay. Any more chips? What happened? I know the end. Well, all of a sudden, no matter what was taking place, I knew it's going to be okay. I know the end. It's going to be okay. I know the end. When you look at the resurrection, no matter what happens in life, it's going to be okay. I know the end. When you look at life through the resurrection, it's going to be okay because I know the end because I will be with Jesus. The resurrection answered the question of despair. But secondly, the resurrection answered the question of hopelessness. Of hopelessness. You, you can see they, they were hopeless. Look at verse 19. 
the things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Now look at verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was going to redeem us, but they crucified him. We were hoping he was going to redeem us, but he's dead. You see, here's the problem. Cleopas understood redeem from only one standard. He thought Jesus was coming to get rid of the Romans. He was coming to get rid of the Romans because the Jews were slaves to Rome. So they were looking at Jesus. Okay, he's going to come. He's going to redeem us. He's going to get rid of the Romans. Kind of like David did in the Old Testament. He got rid of the enemies. He believed and wanted Jesus Christ to be like King David. And Cleopas is saying, no, what we really need is just get rid of the Romans. If, all, if, all we, can, if we can have economic freedom, or if we can just have some political freedom, then everything will be okay. Cleopas thought that all his problems were circumstantial. And if I can change the circumstances, I have hope. But Jesus is dead. But Jesus didn't come here to change the Romans. He didn't come to change the political landscape. He didn't come to change the economic circumstances. He came to change hearts. Verse 21, but we had hoped. How would you end that phrase? But we hoped. What disappointments in life have left you hanging? What have you put your hope in? But I'd hoped my health would improve. But I'd hoped I would get that promotion. I'd hoped that that relationship would be strengthened. I had hoped that God would do a miracle in my life. Anything other than the resurrected Jesus as an answer would disappoint you. You may be here, you may be watching online, you're losing hope. Maybe you're single and you thought, you know, I'd hoped I would be married. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce and you're thinking, I had hoped I would stay married. Or maybe you're a grieving person from a death and you're saying, I, I had hoped that we get better. Maybe you're sick and you thought, I'd, I'd hope I would get well. Maybe you're stuck in your job and you thought, you know, I'd hoped to be successful. You see, everyone's looking for hope, but we're looking for hope in all the wrong places. I mean, we, we look for the latest pill to give us hope. We, we, we look for the, for the latest politician to give us hope. We look at the latest plan to give us hope. But the only hope you could ever have is in a person named Jesus Christ who died on a cross and came back from the dead. He's the hope. You know the problem? We want hope, and we try to get it from the world. And here's what the world teaches. Listen carefully to the world, and this is what they teach. The key to life is to be happy. That's what the world teaches. Listen carefully, they will say, and to be happy, you do what we tell you to do. You follow us, the world, and you will be happy. That's what the world says. In other words, you've got to be married by a certain age. You've got to have children by a certain age. You've got to have an education at a certain place, certain college. You have to drive a certain type of car. You have to live in a certain kind of house. You have to go on vacation in a certain type of place. And if you can't do that, you're a failure, and you can't be happy. And so everyone listening to the world is trying to find happiness by the world's definition. Forty years ago, 
a psychologist named Philip Brickman. He wrote the very first scholarly paper on finding happiness. In fact, he became the expert of happiness. He went on to be a psychologist at the University of Michigan. He became the director of the Institute of Social Research. He was the envy of his peers, by the way. I mean, he was doing research. He was doing writing. He was doing lectures. He wanted to change the world. In fact, one of his colleagues said he wanted to make the world a better place. He wanted to be a more humane place to live. And so if you had a question about happiness, you contacted Philip Brickman. He was the expert on happiness. And so everyone contacted him until May 13, 1982. That's when at age 38, Philip Brickman went to the roof of the Tower Plaza, 26 floors, and jumped off. And everyone was shocked. There was no clues. There was no, no one suspected. He had no sign of depression. He, they, they couldn't understand. They, they kept looking, talking. They, they started digging in his background. What happened? I mean, he had a successful job, a, a family, a, a farm. I mean, he had everything to make you happy, according to the world. And they began to dig in his background. They, they did find that he had some problems as a child, and he lived with insecurities. He thought he could research happiness. He thought he could find happiness, but he didn't find happiness. He was the expert, but he never found it. You see, the world says, you do what we say, you'll be happy. But it doesn't happen. Only through the resurrection, because through the resurrection, we have hope. Eddie Jakku was 101 years old when he gave his TED Talk. He has to be the oldest person who ever given a TED Talk. Taku is a Holocaust survivor. He talked about his life. It's a really amazing life, how he was captured and went to a concentration camp. He escaped, reunited with his family. And then in 1943, he was captured again. They, they sent him to Auschwitz. Over 6 million Jews were killed in, during the Holocaust. They were taking him one day, marching in, it was called the death march, and he escaped again into the wilderness. He said right after the war, he, he was miserable. He was angry, had no hope. He said he had to learn how to let go of the hate. He said, hate will destroy you. But in that talk, he said this, what he has searched for his entire life. He said, I look for hope. He said, where there is life, there is hope. And if there is no more hope, you are finished. He's right. If you don't have hope, you are finished. But Jesus is the real hope because of the resurrection. Third, the resurrection answers the question of our doubts. Answer the questions of our doubts. It, it says in verse 25, as they're walking, they're saying, we, we heard that the body is missing. And, and Jesus says to them in verse 25, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart. Now, that, that phrase slow of heart means you have all the facts, you just can't put them together. I, I, I do a lot of puzzles during the day, you know, like Wordle online, and, and sometimes I have all the letters, but I'm slow of heart. I just, it just takes me a while to put it together. That's what Jesus said. Hey, you have all the facts, guys. You're just not putting them together. You have the facts. The body's missing. He's gone. And so what do you does he, he begins to handle their doubts they have doubts I mean, they're saying he's gone so well how does he handle it well number one he, he shows them the resurrection promise 
I love verse 27. I wish I was there. Then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all the things concerning himself in Scripture. I love that. I'd love to have been there. Jesus said, hey, let, let, me, let me teach you the Bible from, from Genesis to Malachi. Hey, Mary in Genesis, uh, that passage about Eve was going to have a descendant who's going to crush the head of a serpent. That's the Messiah. Oh, do you remember that, that passage about Noah and building the ark because God's judgment's coming? Only God provided a rescue? Well, that's talking about the Messiah. Oh, remember how Abraham used a certain uh, type of faith in God? Well, that's talking about how you'd be saved. Oh, you, you know that story about Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers? Well, the Messiah's going to be betrayed by his disciples. Oh, do you remember how, how Moses uh, was almost killed by an evil king at birth? Well, that's going to happen to the Messiah. Do you remember that whole sacrificial system? It's all about the Messiah. Remember Samson, how he gave his life for the people of Israel? Well, that's what the Messiah is going to do. Remember how King David was a good, imperfect king, but the Messiah is going to be the ultimate king. Remember those hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah? Let me go over each and every one of them to tell you who he's talking about. You see, the Old Testament is about one thing. It's about Jesus. We were given the Old Testament to understand Jesus, and here is Jesus telling them. Now, I would not have done this, okay? This is what I would have done. If I'm walking with the disciples, these, these followers, and they said, we have doubts, I would say, hold it. Ta-da. Some lightning bolts, you know, glowing. That's me. Jesus doesn't do that. You know why? He said, let me just go through the Scripture. Here's why. See, the disciples believed Jesus when they saw Jesus. Cleopas is going to only have the Scripture. In fact, later he says, our hearts were burning while he was telling them the Scripture. You know why this passage is in here? When you're looking for Jesus, when you're trying to hear Jesus, you go to the Scriptures. That's how you find Jesus. He says, I'll show you the resurrection promises. But secondly, I'll show you the resurrection plan. Verse 26, he said, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? He said, don't you understand this is the plan? You you thought the cross was the end? Oh, no, it's the beginning. You you thought the cross was defeat? Oh, no, it's the victory. You, You thought the cross was a tragedy? Oh, no, it was a triumph. The Messiah had to die on the cross. He had to die for the sins of the world to be placed upon him. Do you not understand this was the plan of God for the very beginning? And then he showed them the resurrection presence. They, they get to the house, and, and Jesus, verse 30, takes bread and bless it and break it and gave it to them. And then it said their eyes were opened. They recognized him. But they said, verse 32, hey, but, but our, our hearts were burning when he was wrenching Scripture. Jesus is with them, and the resurrection gives them his presence. That's what the resurrection does. Because of the resurrection, we have the presence of Christ in our life. Because of the resurrection, Christ can live within you. Because of the resurrection, you're never going to be alone. Because of the resurrection, Christ will be with you to give you the strength and the guidance you always need. Because the resurrection is the answer to everything. A few years ago in the Wall Street Journal, George Weigel wrote an article, interesting article to me, because he was talking about the early church. He said, how is it possible the early church could turn Rome upside down? This is what he writes. Quote, there is no accounting for the rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary effect on those nobodies of what they called the resurrection. That's what he's saying. He goes on to say, they believe in the resurrection, their lives were changed, the way they treated people, the way they faced life, the way they faced death as martyrs, because they knew that death did not have to have the final word in the human story. 
He went on to say, they were living as if they knew the outcome of history itself. Well, he's right. That's how they turned the world upside down because it's true. The resurrection did change them. They do know the outcome of history. You and I know the outcome of history. One day, Christ is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom. How do I know that? The resurrection. And today on this Easter morning, the resurrection can change your life if you embrace it. How do you do it? Well, by admitting you're a sinner. Saying, God, I can't save myself. I've tried. I, I tried all the plans. I've tried the way the world wants me to. It doesn't work. I do believe. I believe that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago. I believe he was buried. And third day he arose. I believe that. But more than that, I, I confess, I give you everything. I'm not holding anything back. I give you everything to you. Come into my life. If you're watching online, you want to give your life to Christ, if you text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will call you today. But if you're here this morning, and you would like to give your life to Christ in a personal way, or maybe join this church, or maybe some other decision, privately or publicly, whatever it may be, today's the day. What better day? than Easter to make a decision because of the resurrection. Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father, because of the resurrection, we have hope. Father, because of the resurrection, we do not live in despair. Father, because of the resurrection, you've taken away our doubts. We know that Jesus is Lord and King. And so, Father, now in this time of opportunity, we pray you speak to us. Father, for that person who's been putting it off, let today be the day. Father, that person who's, who's struggling with some questions, show them the resurrection. Show them the empty cross, uh, the empty tomb. Father, show them who Jesus is. Father, that person who's looking for a church home, Father, Show them today what better place to go than here. But, Father, whatever decision that is made, we ask you that we we'll do it for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.